2: This week on Barca Talk, Barcelona took a draw in the Canary Islands and a win over Atletico Madrid in the Camp Nou to get eight points clear and remain undefeated in La Liga. FCB Femini were on break, but Barca B got a draw and are continuing a good run of form. We're continuing to grow our stable of interviews with Pena presidents, and this week we have Victor Valanchek of the Pena FCB Houston. So whether you're in the car, on the metro, at the gym, or at your job, welcome to the show. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk, Brian Henderson here, joining me as always is your co-host Gabriel Quiroga.
1: Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother, uh, and fellow Kool-Aids, welcome to episode 68 of Barca Talk podcast. Here in Madrid, Brian, apparently we're having our own version of Noah's Ark, it has not stopped raining for about eight days, and it's still going to continue to rain, so we are here in Madrid a little depressed, we haven't seen the sun that much, how are things going in Buffalo? Better
2: than in Madrid, actually, I mean Friday night we had a a blizzard that painted everything with snow, but aside from that it's actually been sunny, warmer, and so how how often do you get to hear that the weather in Buffalo, New York is better and more pleasurable than the weather in Madrid, Spain? not very often so i'm gonna I'm just gonna take a moment to gloat about this. Okay, and that's and that's over. That was it. So is that just that it, moment of silence? It, that was. Is it. Is
1: that scoreboard Buffalo on that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Score one for Buffalo against. I mean, countless points for Madrid. <laughs> so, but at least we got one. We got one on you. But uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah, things are going well. The weather's getting better, and it's it's nice here. But let's get on with the show. We have a couple of news and notes to talk about this week. First thing, uh. This uh, this kid, Anthony Borges, he's a 15-year-old. He spent two months playing at the Barca Academy in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in 2016. And he uh, saved the lives of, of 20 people uh, during that uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High shooting last week. And uh, he was uh, he was sent a, a shirt signed by uh, the first-team players of the club, and they invited him to come meet the squad. Right now, he's, he's in hospital uh, recovering from from bullet wounds uh but this teenager originally from venezuela five bullets in the back uh helped 20 classmates take refuge during the shooting uh he's just uh, he's a real hero and uh, and i love that the that the club you know did a little something and of course it's it's wonderful uh, public relations for them the club that is uh to sort of you know claim him uh, as as a as one of them as a as a as a barca person someone who embodies those values of more than a club and you know, humility and sacrifice and all that sort of stuff. So it's a really beautiful story. And I personally hope that he recovers quickly and well.
1: Yeah, I think this is a great uh, thing that Barca did was to obviously, like, I like the word you use there, claim him uh, for this moment. But obviously, you know, again, it was really heroic what uh, Anthony did for his fellow classmates and so forth. Again, um, I know this is not a political podcast. I have many thoughts and issues about gun control and so forth, but I just think it's great that FC Barcelona uh, took the moment to recognize his heroic deeds and obviously send him the jersey and also invite him to Barcelona to meet the players as well.
2: Yeah, so uh, good on the club, good on Anthony. Um, you know, we're really proud of you. Uh, maybe you listen to the show. I don't know, but <laughs> I doubt it. Anyway, uh it's, a, it's one nice thing to come out of an otherwise horrible, horrible tragedy. Uh, now, in footballing news, uh, apparently Barcelona is close to signing Arthur from Gremios. Uh, so the, the story is that Gremio officials are due in Barcelona next week to, quote-unquote, close the transfer of the midfielder, Arthur, to the Camp Nou, according to all the reports. He's a 21-year-old midfielder. Uh, he's made 52 first-team appearances for Gremio. And uh, he was a key part of his side squad in their run to
1: the Copa Libertadores uh, yeah I mean i I definitely want this to happen sooner. I think he would be a definite upgrade for our midfield just to give us some more depth. Uh, unfortunately, I think uh, Dennis Suarez's time at the club is closing here a little bit, but uh, with this Arthur signing, I think it's a you know it's a good economical deal I don't think it's too expensive or too extreme. And so, for me, I, I really like this signing. I hope they get it done soon, so that he comes in the summertime and is ready for pre preseason and ready for the next season to be in the first team and and to be and to contribute with uh, for the Barcelona team.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's only 21. Apparently, he's a really solid-looking midfielder. I haven't watched um, any highlights or anything. I don't know much about his game, but uh, you know, if he's if he's getting this many starts. For Gremio, he's obviously an up-and-coming talent. Uh, they're a solid side. Uh, you know, they were in the World Cup, uh, the Club World Cup final. Uh, they lost to Real Madrid, but you know, still, just to get to that, you got to be a very good side. So to be making that many appearances on a side as good as that at only 21 years old, you're you're definitely a prospect. And as far as the price point goes, you know, I I heard or I read that uh the that the uh, transfer clause uh, was apparently scheduled or. Reported to be 40 million euro, although his buyout clause is currently 50 million euro, um, according to reports. So I don't know where the uh, where the transfer fee is going to fall ultimately in the end. But either way, you know, that's what we paid for Paulinho, And look what we I mean, we got a great deal on Paulinho for 40 million. And it uh, seems like you know, if you compare that with what we paid for Dembele, who, who is a great talent and I'm really excited to see him grow and develop. But, you know, that was like 100 20 million, 40 to 50 seems like a real bargain for this kid.
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I I think that when Barcelona does their scouting in South America, obviously they're going to find better economic value, right? Because maybe the leagues, quote unquote, don't translate to what we can see in Europe. For example, with Dembele, right? So Dembele played some Champions League. He was on Borussia Dortmund. He was on a quality German team. And so the German team can ask for a high price. Uh, I like the way FC Barcelona does their business in that they get some people from South America for the transfer market as well as other high priced free agents in Europe just to kind of balance the economic structure uh, i 'm really excited for this signing because I think you know with his age, his experience, I think he could definitely contribute going forward uh, with the midfield of Barcelona and again. Um, For the price, just as you noted, it's not such a risk going forward.
2: Yeah, now there is one slight uh, potential hiccup in that Barcelona already has three non-EU players on their books. They've got Yerimina, he's Colombian, Paulinho, and Felipe Coutinho, both Brazilian. But Coutinho apparently is applying for a Portuguese passport to hopefully free up an extra space And, I mean, frankly, I wouldn't want to lose any of those players at this point.
1: No, I totally agree. But, again, that rule is so antiquated. I feel that's such a, you know, 1990s rule type of thing. I mean, now with players coming from all over the world, who cares where they come from or where their passports are from? I think it should just kind of be a, an open, free market. And But you have a good point, though. If we're only allowed three – I didn't know this. If we're only allowed three non-EU players, then, yeah, we're going to hit our limits, and hopefully Coutinho's process is a streamlined process that he can able to get that Portuguese – Passport, but what do you think? Don't you think that's such an antiquated rule that you can only have three non-EU players? I mean, now with world football, with world talent coming from all over the place, not only just from Europe. I mean, who cares if they're EU or non-EU players? What do you think?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, I I agree with you completely. I mean, I, I think that there, if, if, you, if you break it down economically, right, or the like, you know, the econ- the economics of talent, right? It does mean that you're going to keep. Uh, plenty of good South American players in South America when there's the chance that they could just come to Europe. I mean, if you open it up entirely, I think there's... Uh, this is going to sound messed up, maybe, but uh, there might be a good, a good amount of fear in Europe that if they don't have these kinds of rules and regulations, then there won't even be any European players in European clubs anymore. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if that would really happen, actually, because there are you know plenty of places all throughout Europe that produce really good talent, so maybe that would be a, a foolish fear to have. Uh, but I, d- I do think that a, just a totally open and free market for, for talent would be would be better. And it, we don't need these these rules at this point, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I understand in the beginning, you know, maybe in the early 2000s and 1990s where they wanted to control the influx maybe of South American, Brazilian players, Argentinian players, all this. I get that. But now with the money that's going through, the the teams, the way they scout and so forth, you know, they can get players not only from South South America, but also Africa, Asia. I mean, who cares? You know, It's just all about trying to get the best players that you can wherever you may have that scouting uh, department going to check out those players. Now, I really like the way FC Barcelona does their scouting in that in South America they have a genuine interest because they're able to get econo- economic gems like Yuri Mina and now obviously with Arthur, where if those players were playing in Europe – Those prices would be much, much higher.
2: Yeah, true. So, uh, but ultimately, yeah, I think we're on the same page and we agree that, like, we should just, they should just open it up entirely. Now, in our community segment today, we actually have a special feature. Uh, Two weeks ago, we had our first or actually second interview with a Pena president. The the first one was back at the Classico when we interviewed Matt Manson and Joe Dixon from SF Pena. Hope you guys are doing well. And uh, then two weeks ago, we had Michael Miller, president of the Montreal Pena. Bonjour, Michael. Hope you're doing well also. And this week, uh, Gabriel got to talk to Victor from the Houston Peña. And so we're going to hear that interview right now.
1: As Brian said, uh, we're going to start doing more interviews with people who are in charge of peñas around the U.S. And today we have Victor, who is part of the Houston Kool-Aid. So, Victor, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me today.
1: Yeah, so, Victor, this is our... Third time recording. I feel like you know I know your whole life story already, but for the fe- but for the <laughs> fellow Kool-Aids, uh, why don't you give us a quick little bio on yourself?
0: Sure, sure. Uh, again, uh, I'm uh, I'm Victor Valencheck, and uh, originally born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. So I'm up there uh, north. Uh, I, I know a little bit of the misery that Brian goes through and uh, uh, the weather up there. But uh, now over the last five and a half years, living in Houston, Texas. Um, this is uh this is home for me now
1: and uh how long have you been living in Houston?
0: yeah i've, I've been I've been down here uh been down here almost five and a half years it's been uh honestly I absolutely love it I mean despite you know maybe some natural disasters with uh hurricane harvey recently um it has been a kind of an interesting eye opener something I never really experienced up north uh but I can tell you just uh, what a great city Houston is. Uh, for so many reasons, and um, again, love it down here. And uh, the guys that I that I get a chance to watch Barcelona with, uh, an amazing group of guys and gals, and so super super excited to be. You know, I just right now, I, I think I'm going to be here for a while.
1: Great, that's great. Um, so we were talking, you know, on our previous <laughs> on our previous recordings, uh, a little bit about your sports background, and you know, for me, one of the reasons I got into Barca is because I played. Soccer or football growing up, and my father was a big influence on that. But you have kind of a different story. So, how did you get into Barca?
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good because uh, I'm one of these people who I'm really new to the sport in the last decade. And uh, it wasn't, I really never was, uh, you know, I love baseball. You know, growing up in Cleveland, it's baseball, basketball, and football. Um, and if you know anything about Cleveland Browns football, you know that's a painful thing to to have to be a fan of. Um, So, for me, I really didn't, you know, didn't have a lot of huge passion between before, behind any of those three. I did go to the Ohio State U- University, and so that's where I really put my passion behind from a college football perspective, and it still am. At the, I'm still pretty much a crazy Buckeye fan. Um, but when it came, uh, I had a chance to go out to Barcelona, and we took a cruise, and that was our first port. Back in 2010, and it was in June. It sandwiched right there at the end of the Barcelona season, right there before World Cup. And this, the, the energy of Spain and the World Cup at that point was amazing. And I, I, when I, as soon as I, you know, I was on the ship, I, you know, we actually while we were on the ship, World Cup started. Um, watching matches on the ship, and as soon as I came home to back to Cleveland, I, I'm, I'm like, I gotta watch Spain. So I start watching. Uh, I'm like, can you please turn on the TV for me? Because in Cleveland at that time. Nobody's really watching soccer or watching football at that point. So I can remember being at the bar by myself watching those matches, and you know the biggest one that stands out for me just is is uh, that uh, the Spain uh, in that semifinal versus Germany, uh, which just I was just I was just in awe. I was by the time I got to that point, I was just sold. It really was the Spanish national team that really sold me initially, and at that point, we had a pretty large uh, you know, number of players who are Barcelona players, and so it was kind of that. That passion and, and you know what I what I fell in love with in that moment watching Spain uh, kind of trans you know kind of bled over into my love for just grasping on to Barcelona and watching those same players. That's
1: interesting, and uh, I know we talked earlier, but uh, I'm going to tell the listeners there's this great YouTube video of Puyol uh, in one of the World Cup matches, post matches, where the Queen of Spain is uh, addressing the team and Puyol. After every match, he goes straight to the showers, and they they grab him. And so he greets the queen in his towel. Were you able to see that video, Victor? Did, I, did you able to see? It?
0: <laughs> I I wasn't, uh, but I, I I'm gonna have to watch that video. Um, it Puyo by far was the player. It was that 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 header in the box. You know the uh, the snap of the head, and that just you know erupted the entire world. Was for me that was the. Um, I think that that's what sold me. And Puyo's forevermore been my favorite player.
1: There's a uh, really great documentary um, from Canal Plus, which is the sports channel here in Spain. Um, and basically, it's a documentary on the 2010 World Cup run, and it's really great. It's an hour and a half long. Unfortunately, it's in Spanish, but I think they do have subtitles, and it just goes through each match leading up to it about uh, behind the scenes and practice, and it just gets each player's interviews and insight. And... The Germany game that you just mentioned, too, they just they talk about that, how Xavi and Puyol basically diagnosed that corner kick play going into halftime. And it's just really great insight, and it's a really cool view to see how the team came together to win this World Cup. So I definitely recommend that documentary for you.
0: Very good. Very good.
1: All right, so, you know, we've been talking... Uh, Brian's been talking to uh, Michael last week about his Pena. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about the Houston Kool-Aids?
0: Sure. Um, you know, the Houston Kool-Aids, um, we started uh, as a as a group back probably as an official back in 20, uh, back about 2015. So if we rewind back then, I, I came into the city of Houston, let's rewind a little farther in like 2012 and it was really this, or, you know, this everything happened really organically. It was this, you know, great group of guys hanging out week in, week out at, at the Richmond Arms Pub in Houston, and um, that was the first thing I did. As soon as I got to the city, I was like, I have got to find a place to watch Barcelona, and uh, I got there, and those guys welcomed me in immediately. Uh, they saw me wearing my kit. They're like, come on over here, hang out with us, and uh, before you knew it, uh, you know a few years later, we are you know we 're like you know what there 's a lot of supporter groups out there who are really official, okay They have like flags and logos, and we didn 't have any of that and we 're like you know what why don 't we we 're pretty official. We get together every single weekend and so that kind of snowballed into as a, just a regular supporter group before the Pena started. It uh, really snowballed into, you know, we created our logo, we created a board, and they, uh, they basically voted me in as president, and I was happy to lead these guys through, uh, uh, you, know, you know, getting logos, flags, and scarves, and it, that was really special. We had, that was a great year uh, through 2016, uh, leading into 2017, when um, really the Pena started coming together uh, in 2017. So um, that's kind of my backstory with 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 the uh, with the Pena. But um, today, I was president of Houston Kool-Aid's as a supporters group. But today, I'm actually the vice president of um, Pena Blagrana Houston. Our president is James Miranda, and James, this interesting story, uh, basically presented and found our group in uh, May last year. It was just May last year. Um, a little story about him. He's actually uh, his father is Catalan, is from Barcelona. His mother's from Texas, and uh, he spent years growing up in Austin and years in in, in Barcelona. So when he came over here, kind of pre-internet time, he's like a lot of people that when he got to the United States, there really wasn't a way to really watch Barcelona. Uh, he also his his dad's friends in the club basically said, when you get to Texas, you got to create a pena. So it was kind of always in the back of his mind to do that, and. Um, over, you know, it took a few years, tried to do it in Austin, didn't work out, tried to do it in Philadelphia, didn't work out. And he finally got to Houston and he reached out. The first thing he reached out to, and this is really kind of unique for us, is he found that there's an institution called the American Institute for Catalan Studies here in Houston. It's been around since 78. Uh, it's run by Helena Cardis and um, she's part of our board. Uh, he basically, you know, partnered up with them to, you know, and said, hey, you know what, do you guys have a Pena here? I'd really like to start one. And they didn't. So they were really on board with, as far as a partnership, to be the backing nonprofit organization for the Pena. So it was the next piece of the puzzle that he was missing, which was the great, you know, a huge group of guys and gals that would show up and were showing up to a bar week in and week out. And that was us. He found us and presented to us this idea that, hey, I've already done all the back end work on the for the pain yet. What I need is what you guys have here which is right, you know, there at the bar, you know, a solid group that's there every single week and uh really it was kind of a three-way partnership there between James, AICS and ourselves which so I think for us has been really a great win-win-win situation that we're in. It's kind of a unique situation too.
1: That's great. I mean the internet just brings everyone together you know it's it's crazy to know that there was a Catalan studies place in Houston out of all the places in the u s you know that's 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 incredible to me you know um so tell me like what is the process of you know starting the Pena and then getting the official Pena status? Can you d- describe to us a little bit about that and how long it takes
0: you know I can tell you from James did a lot of that work, and I can tell you it from the way he described it it's just it just Part of the process was it could go it can go faster depending on how you know how quickly and you know ambitious you are to you know drive this process. But for James, it was really important to do this right, do it slowly, make sure that everything's in order. You know, one step at a time uh, through the process. So yeah, it took probably a year, and I think a lot of people will tell you that have gone through the process that it's a lengthier process. And again, it's just a matter of you know, the time and energy you have into uh, to put into it. Um, but again, for James, it was really important that we do it right. And this really, uh, kind of, um, you know, coincides with the message that when I had a chance back in June to go to the uh, Pan America conference that took place during the, the Barcelona USA tour, um, I had a chance to be in New York and the, the leaders of the Pena's. Uh, talked a lot about making sure that what, whatever you're building from a Pena, you're building it, you're doing it right, and you're, you're, you're doing something that is going to last, a lasting process. So, you know, do it right, build the Pena, uh, you know, get strong membership, uh, but build something that's going to last for a long time. And I think James already knew that going into it, that that's what he wanted to do. So even when he presented the idea back to May uh, with me and May, um, our board, our new board, um, is has been working on this for worked on it through the latter part of 2017 to really get us where we are today. Uh, so we're, I mean we're really excited because today we've got. Uh, We've got new flags, uh, or or, I'm sorry, we've got new scarves as part of the membership campaign. We've got a much larger membership base because we've just kind of completed most. We're still bringing on members, so if people hear hear me today, uh, please reach out to us. And um, again, we're definitely still bringing on members here, but uh, we had a big membership campaign in January through February. The other thing we wanted to really uh, tell about Arpena is 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 really threefold for us. What the biggest thing about our, kind of our stance is all about diversity. That's that's the first thing because Houston, a lot of people know, Houston's a very diverse city. And with that, it's important for us to to really be inclusive and welcome everybody. Like like the guys that welcomed me when I came in, you know, uh, into into the club. We want to do the same thing for everybody that's here in Houston, uh, whether you're traveling in to visit. Uh, and again, we want everyone to feel like family. So that's a big thing for us. Is that message of diversity and that inclusivity that we want for our club. The second piece that we really want everyone to know about is the outreach part. Um, With, uh, you know, our big uh, drive to sell our scarves, a big part of that is to to get the fundraising that we need so that we, and recruitment that we can have so that we can do outreach programs. And uh, we're working on picking a charity that we can, you know, really have an impact on the local uh, scene here in Houston, Uh, We want to be proactive with our community and, you know, instead of just sitting back and drinking beers, which we absolutely love to do. (laughs) We absolutely love to sit back and drink beers week in and week out, but we also want to give back to the community. And then finally, uh, through that partnership with AICS, we want to bring education into the group as well, what it means to be a Barca fan. And ultimately, we look forward to um, starting to have some cultural Catalan experiences uh, and programs and events uh, through AICS and so that's uh, that 's some exciting plans that we have as well for the future
1: that 's really cool because you know uh, from an you know i didn 't know that the Pena first of all, the process was so selective and so long, and the other thing too is i didn 't know you had to really partner up with a non profit and it was this more than just a viewing uh, experience, but it was also, you know, helping with the community. And I think that's really, really cool because along that goes with the motto of, of the club, right? Mescan club, right? So not only is it football, but it's also helping the community and also interacting with the community, it, with the with the Pena status and, and the fellow Pena members. I think that's a really cool uh, idea, and I think that's a really great idea from a uh, marketing standpoint and also just uh, having, you know... You know, for example, I always compare you know Barca with Real Madrid, and I'm pretty sure Real Madrid doesn't really care about that.
0: Now that is a key component of of the club, and uh, you're you're spot on there. And so we're we're looking forward to again being able to uh, kind of live up to that. So that's uh, that's what we're we're trying to do.
1: All right, really great. Um, so so you, you were telling us that you're doing a new member drive. Um, what is that? What does that entail? What is that? Are, do you just do I just contact you, show up to the bar, and pay a fee, or what, is there a process? How, how does that process go?
0: Sure. Uh, it's from a from a membership per- campaign for our kickoff and our na- inaugural season here as a Pena. Uh, we've decided through the end of this season to do a $0 membership drive to kind of boost the numbers first. Uh, so we're not trying to raise money through the membership uh, through the end of the year, but we want to bring people together, get people involved, um, so what we've got, we've got a Google form that we're using that you can fill out your information. It's pretty easy. Um, and again, the best way to connect with us is just go to Facebook, go to Houston Coulets, um, and you should easily be able to find us. We're also on Twitter, at Houston Coulets, um, or just go to um and you'll be able to find us. So uh, you can fill out that form. We'll get you a membership card that we've created, um, and we'll get you signed up. Now, the cool part is, obviously, that we've created our own membership card, so we're really excited later in the year, once the club uh, gets all our enrollments, that we can get those true Painista cards from the club, which I'm really excited about that, and I'm sure our members are as well. Uh, so that's, uh, we're looking forward to that later on.
1: That's really cool. And, you know, like I've mentioned to Brian in previous episodes and so forth, I, I really love being a part of a group watching a sporting event because I just – the ambiance, the atmosphere, the energy when you're all rooting for the same team is just incredible, especially, you know, like maybe with the match against Chelsea previous or in Champions League when there are really important matches, El Clasico, for example, and you're watching it with, you know, 40 other Kool-Aids when you're all rooting and you, that energy is just amazing. And then when you finally score – it's just it's just chaos, you know, and I love that feeling
0: oh, that, I, that those are my favorite moment. One of my some of my favorite moments with the club are those El classical moments and just that that energy that you just spoke of. There's no question that is that that's addicting right there. I mean, to be there, uh, we're all jammed in there like sardines, you know, the entire bar is packed. And the energy is, and just you know, we everybody just erupts when that when that goal happens.
1: Yeah, it's a great moment. I love it. You just start high fiving with randoms that you did, you didn't even know ten minutes before. You know, I love that feeling. <laughs> so, a little bit more about the penya. What is one of your favorite moments that you can think of? And maybe in the last year or two years with the Pena watching FC Barcelona?
0: You know, I think some of the, my, my favorite moment, one of the, my favorite moments was when the supporter, as a as a supporters group, and we decided to get together as Houston Kool I can, I've got a picture of, of all of us on, I think it was like February 27th, 2016. We're all holding up our scarves and it was membership day. And the fact that we've got, and we had, I think at that point, probably, I'd say 40 members or, or so, and everybody showed up at the bar and everybody got their scarves that day. It was just kind of a real proud moment that, you know, all the hard work and everything we put together and, uh, kind of came to fruition at that moment, um, and so that's, that was really a, a proud moment, and of course, uh, every match that we get together that we have, uh, the, the big matches, uh, are just, um, are just amazing to be together. Cause you know, the, it's one thing to be get, to get together at the matches, but when we win, the party keeps going all day long. <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot of fun too. So we're, we're, we're all, we definitely want to do, uh, do good work, uh, but in the, in the community, but also everybody likes to have a good time. So we're, we're, we're ready for, uh, we're hoping, uh, we're, ho- we're all, we're all hoping for that big celebration here, uh, for the La Liga trophy here, uh, at the end of, uh, end of the season.
1: Yeah, it should be great. Now, you know, we've we've talked and I feel like I've known you for, you know, for this past week and I've been thinking about other questions I wanted to ask you and FC Barcelona Community has brought you to Spain to New York, which I think is great. Um tell us, you know, tell us and the listeners just your experience going to the Camp Nou for the first time and how you coordinated that trip.
0: Yeah, um I had the it, it was on my bucket list, you know, I knew I had to get to the Camp Nou and it was, what, summer of 2016. Um, I, like many of us, we're patiently waiting for the La Liga schedule to come out, which they're always way delayed, late July. And I told my best friend, I'm like, listen, and my best friend's back in Cleveland, I'm like, we have got to go to Barcelona. And so... Um, I basically looked at the schedule as soon as it came out and I looked uh, strategic about it. I saw that there was a midweek La Liga match on March 1st against sporting. There was a March 3rd or 4th match on the weekend against Celta. I'm like, that's it. That's the week I'm going to, um, I'm going to plan around that. And that's exactly what we did. We ended up, the two of us kind of descended upon Barcelona, uh, showed up there, went to two matches, uh, between the matches, we went to the museum And I just it was just a surreal experience to be there, um, you know, in the Camp new, and to be able to watch. And for me, it was super. I mean, I think I was super special moment because I saw MSN score. I saw eleven goals over two matches. It was like a six one and a five 0 match um, it was it was uh, it was a, It was a good time
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first time I watched uh, Barcelona Live, I had the, the similar experience where they won five nothing and I much prefer that right you You prefer almost a goal avalanche right just you just want to win, you want to see a lot of goals and I was sitting behind the goal with with the group. And uh, they scored four goals on that side, and it was just amazing. And plus, Messi scored a uh, chip goal, which I think I almost fainted because, for me, those are my favorite goals to watch because uh, I know how difficult it is to do that. So, uh, yeah, so I totally agree to, you know, if you can, uh, pick a match where you know they're going to win so the experience doesn't get uh, nullified by it. But, um, yeah, so, you know, you've been to Barcelona. Did you have another... Um, outside uh, FC Barcelona and the Camp Nou experience, any other thing that um, you really enjoyed when you saw when you visited Barcelona for the first time?
0: You know, I had seen uh, some of the major attractions um, during my 2010 trip. That I had remembered, but my buddy had not. So uh, we pretty much went through uh, went through some of the you know went to. I was happy, you know, years, eight years later to go back through all those particular, you know, sites. And Barcelona is just beautiful. We stayed in, uh, if I remember, an Airbnb in the Godic, um, you know, um, area there. And it was just absolutely perfect. We were close and on top of everything. Um, Easy to get around on the subways to get where you needed to go to, you know, hanging out in tiny little tapas bars, um just just enjoying life. And it really just is a, an amazing experience to be there. I can't wait. We actually, we have plans. Uh, I'm going back either September, October. Um actually Michael Miller, I know he's trying to plan a similar group uh uh outing with his group out in uh with the Montreal Pena. And well, we were chatting about that as well because well our, maybe maybe our paths will cross and maybe we can plan this together. But um we are trip planning, I'm gonna do the same thing for again all of our members. Uh, once July comes around La Liga, please put out that schedule sooner than later so that we can pick a week, uh, to go out there. And I plan on going out there. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, we get, I get as many members to, to join me out there on that, uh. Uh, trek back to Barcelona again
1: yeah that'll be great because you, you have to go there to renew your supporters club card right is that correct?
0: yeah the commitment card yeah. uh, to be uh, again to, as a leader of a Pena or at least the president needs to be a socio or a commitment card holder so I got my commitment card last year and uh, one of the uh, it was interesting I came back from Barcelona and I told my wife I'm like um, I got this great commitment card. She's like, "Oh, that's nice, honey." I'm like, "Yeah, it means I have to go back to Barcelona and sign my commitment to the club in person every year." She's like, "Oh, that's funny." I'm like, "No, seriously, <laughs> I have to go back every year." And I was like, "I'm like, that's the best excuse ever." I'm like,
1: <laughs> "That's awesome." And like we were talking previous, I I need to get on my commitment card as well, especially since I'm here. I mean, it's just kind of a no brainer. I just. I remember looking into it because I was going to give it as a gift for my father, and I just I forgot to go forward with it, and I just been busy. So, uh, after talking to you, that's it, that's on my to do list. So, um, all right, so let's let's end here on a couple fun kind of questions. Um, who's your favorite player other than Messi?
0: Historically, or or in the current? As you yeah. wish.
1: If you want to do, all, yeah, that's all I time.
0: I, I think still it's still. Pu- it's still Puyo, it's still Puyo from my, again, he's the yeah, the one that back then, I you know, I shared my story. Um, absolutely, I think that he's probably been my favorite member for, uh, again, just for that, not only for that moment, but also kind of how the respect uh, he, you know he got from his team uh his no nonsense like when people are celebrating going you know crazy celebrations he's like he's like bring it in let's come on we got business here we got to win matches and over you know he's just no nonsense type of attitude i just love it yeah i mean
1: he he was great and and i miss him um you know for me just he's like tarzan right he's just his hair the way he used to fly in the air with those headers uh i mean i miss his presence just he was just the cerebral captain that uh, barcelona had for such a long time so um all right so victor imagine we're going to uh play five aside in the park and you could pick any barca player historical whatever which five are you going to put on your side
0: that's a good question i i you know for me it again my my ex- I don't have that, that that have that history that goes you know farther back than the Guardiola era. So I mean I mean it's really easy to pick the, the players that you know I have experience with the the Xavis and the Iniesta's and um, and Puyo and Piquet. and Pique. I mean to have those uh, you know for me that whole team that era and um, that uh, that we're still living in today. I uh, don't <laughs> want it to end. So. so
1: you would take let's see you take Puyol, Messi, Javi. You got two spots left. Who else are you going to take?
0: Oh, Iniesta. Okay. And who else did I miss? Um, oh goodness. Um, maybe, maybe Villa. Okay. All right. So David Villa, Puyol, uh,
1: Javi Iniesta, Messi. Can't go wrong with that. I mean, you got Xavi, Iniesta. They're going to be able to tiki-taka all over that five-on-five game. I mean, they'll be able to possess and and do pretty good. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good side, you know. I. I I'd, I'd like to see that. So we'll, we'll, end, we'll end the interview on this. Um, it was really great to, to know about your Pena and about the process, you know, especially since we've talked a lot over this past week. But um, lastly, how do you consume uh, your Barca news? Do you consume it daily, weekly? How, how do you consume your Barca news?
0: I, get, uh, I have to admit, I'm constantly uh, you know, consuming news from different sources. Um, from a television source, uh, we've got BN Sports Uh, here. And so if, you know, thank goodness for them and the broadcasting there, they do of Barcelona. Um, and of course watching some of the shows with the locker room that are on, uh, from a, I'm a huge, I love podcasts. A lot of times I'm at work just listening to a podcast as I'm working on projects to be able to listen to, whether it's the Spanish football podcast, the Barcelona podcast, and, of course, you guys at Barca Talk, and I'm over there. Of course, I hear something, and you guys are getting responses from me. Uh, I'm sending messages uh, your way. Uh, I appreciate the the interaction and just really engaging us listeners. Uh, You guys have been great with that. Uh, Brian, Gabrielle, thank you so much for that. Um, so I can't stress enough. Um, again, just you guys bringing us in and connecting, uh, with the rest of the rest of the world here through your podcast. And so for me, podcasts are huge. I love it.
1: Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I listen to podcasts all the time, especially since, you know, I, when I commute to work, but I also love, uh, for me, it's Twitter. I just love seeing all the reactions during the matches. I like seeing everyone, uh, you know, react as the world is going to end, you know, especially like you know, against the Chelsea match and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I definitely love the podcast community and as as well, the Twitter community as well. Um, I hope that, you know, sometime if you're out here in Barcelona, we can cross paths. Um, you should definitely tag out Madrid as well. I know, uh, you know, you have a vested interest in Barcelona, but Madrid's a great city as well. And, yeah, thanks for joining us, and good luck the rest of the season with your membership drive.
0: Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Uh, again, if, uh, if you're here this podcast today, please come out, and you're in the greater Houston area or traveling in. Come join us out at the Richmond Arms Pub. We'll uh, love to have you, all right? Thanks, guys. All right, Brian, back to you.
2: That was great. And, you know, I really enjoy that we're starting to do these interviews with uh, folks from the Peñas. We want to keep doing more. At the moment, I haven't reached out to any more, uh, any other Peña presidents or anything. So, you know, got to get on that. Uh, But I do enjoy doing them. I I like having the interviews on the show and I like, you know, connecting all the Peñas together because, again, this is kind of like for us. This is the Peña for your ears. We're trying to bring all of the all of the fans all over the world who speak English or want to listen to English at least bring everyone together and I feel like this is a really fun way to do that and that was a, that was a great interview.
1: Well thank you Brian and I think you know after all the uh, technical difficulties I had with Victor uh, so many times we talked I feel like Victor now is kind of my cousin from a different mother or something like this with the uh, VARSA uh, going forward but no it was really fun to get to know Victor and to talk and understand the process of the Peña and as we talked off air you know hopefully he'll Come to Madrid um, soon, and we'll hopefully we'll meet up from there. Yeah, that would be great. Well, okay, let's start talking about some football. But before we get into
2: any first team stuff, let's turn our attention first to Barça B and FCB Feminí. Gabriel, you did the legwork on this. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you set us up with Barça B? What's going on with them?
1: Yeah, Barça B played this weekend, and they got another point away at Oviedo who are currently sitting at fifth place. So that was a really great result because Oviedo is a tough place to play. Obviously, with the weather we've been having here in Spain, with the rain, the pitch, it was a difficult place to play. And Barca B were able to get that point. So, again, although they weren't able to score, they've been doing pretty well lately. Um, you know, there was a couple chances for both Oviedo and Barca B, but unfortunately neither team could capitalize on those opportunities. And, you know, I think for me, the most impressive thing in the last six games for Barca B is they've won three matches, lost one match and tied two. So currently they're sitting 16th place with 35 points. But for me, Brian, the most important thing is they continue to get points and they're creating some distance in, from the relegation zone. So uh, next Sunday, they're going to be playing against Numancia, uh, March 11th at the Mini Estadia. And Numancia is sitting in seventh place with 44 points. So as we've talked in the previous episodes, that Barca B has been playing with a little bit more confidence um, going forward. And obviously just their last run of six games has shown that they are distancing themselves from the relegation zone. So Barca B looking good. And hopefully, as we've always said from the beginning of the season, we want them to continue to be in the Segunda Bay.
2: I'm, gl- I'm really glad that they've been having such a good second half of the season. And yeah, like you mentioned, we've talked about this. Uh, the first half of their season, they were a little, you know, the, like they had good moments, but, you know, they were dropping some points uh, quite a good bit and they were getting really close to the relegation zone. And now this second half of the season... Uh, like you said a few episodes ago, you know they've seen everyone, they've played everyone. Now that they've gone through the first leg of the league, now in the second leg, they are playing with a little bit more confidence. Uh, they've been picking up more and more points, so it's very encouraging. And also at the moment, we're not seeing as many Barca B players getting time on the first team squad. You know there was that period where Alenia and Arnais were seeing some time with the first team in the early stages of the Copa del Rey and that sort of thing, and even in La Liga a little bit. and We haven't been seeing as much of that. So those guys can be totally focused on Barca B and that project, which is mainly just to, again, keep them in the Segunda division.
1: Yeah, and the other thing, too, is they've been getting these results, especially the last two matches, without Arnice. Arnice has been injured with uh, kind of this weird leg contusion type of hip thing going on. So once they get him back fully... Fully fit, I think they'll even be able to perform even better, but I'm really happy the way they've been playing lately. Again, as we noted before, I just think their confidence is much better. And also, again, playing at Oviedo, which is a really strong team, they're a team that's definitely contending to be in La Liga next year um, to get not only the point, but also to not allow a goal. I think really, um, you know, going forward is just going to give them even more confidence.
2: Yeah. Now, what about the women? What happened with FCB Femini this last week?
1: Yeah, so right now the women are on an international break. or Well, a break right now. Um, there is a big tournament going on in Portugal called the Algarve Cup. And it's basically a national team tournament, and it happens every year. So I didn't know about this. You know, I just kind of was following Twitter with the women, and I saw something that Martins tweeted out about her team, about getting a victory, and I said, oh, so maybe they're on an international break, and sure enough, they are. So this tournament is uh, pretty, pretty huge It happens in Portugal, like I said Since 1994 Um, It's considered one of the most prestigious women's football events And the current champions are Spain Now I was trying to find out some information About how they select the teams going forward But I couldn't really find that information Because Spain currently this year Are not invited into this tournament So uh, this tournament is considered Well, it's consisted of 12 teams Divided into three groups And there's a group stage, just like any normal soccer tournament is, followed by a knockout play. Now, this year, the teams include Australia, Canada, Netherlands, Japan, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, South Korea, China, Iceland, Russia, and Portugal. So that's where some of the players from the FCB Femini are playing in this tournament. Um, This tournament goes from the 28th of February to the 7th of March. Now, I have here in my notes, I think the game the first game when they get back is going to be the game against atleti so for me this is kind of i wouldn't say worrisome but i would prefer if they would have had a match before the atleti game just to kind of get their you know kind of get their chemistry going again and just kind of getting their their legs under them because anytime you come from an international break right into a tough match you're always going to have a little bit of sluggishness. There, You might have a little bit of sluggishness just because you haven't played with your team, you haven't practiced. And so I'm a little bit worried about this Atleti match. Now, I didn't know we were going to have this Algarve Cup before this Atleti match, but this could provide a little troublesome for our team. I don't know. What, what do you think, Brian?
2: Yeah, no, it, it totally throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing. I mean, we've been talking for weeks and weeks and weeks about how this match with Atleti is going to be The decisive match, really, because we've been neck and neck with them, you know, maybe a point ahead, maybe three points ahead for a week, but ultimately just neck and neck the entire season. And we drew the last time we played them. So this next match with Atleti, that's going to be really, really decisive for the women. And I totally know what you mean. I see it every time. Whenever players come back from international break, the first match is is a little bit off. You know, they're still they're getting to know their team again because they've just been playing with a different team in a different uniform and a different place and all that sort of thing. Uh, I do think that on the upside. Most of our players are Spanish or Catalan, so they are at least working with each other a lot. Uh, of course, Lika Martin's playing for the Netherlands. She's the one who's going to have to come back and get back into it as quickly as possible. I also know that Tony Duggan has been playing uh, for the England national team, but um, according to the list of teams on the Algarve Cup, the, they're not involved with that. So I don't know what, what tournament that was in. But So that's the other thing, right? is that we've got one dutch player and we have one english player and they're kind of our star players right now so the fact that they've been out on international duty while the uh, it's weird to me that spain wouldn't have been invited to this tournament but in any case i mean i
1: thought it was weird too because i was trying to find why wasn't spain invited and they were the first time that was the first time they had won this cup again this is a very prestigious cup united states have won the most of this tournament so um it just they just they just I don't know they just I don't know how they pick the teams, but they pick the teams internationally and it's just a different draw every time. But again, like you just mentioned, Tony Duggan and Martins are both away currently, and they're our best players. And thank God they're not going too far. You know, like Messi going to Argentina. Obviously, Portugal is a shorter distance. But at the same time, you would just like to see maybe another match before this Atleti match, just so they can get that chemistry, get training, and all that going forward.
2: Yeah, I would. I would really wish for that. But you know, Dem's Dem's. Uh, How is how's it goes. <laughs> Does that, does that make sense? Uh, yes. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's the schedule. We knew the schedule, and it's, uh, it's not, not great because, of course, there aren't. there's probably not a single player for Atleti who had to do this, right? They can just be training.
1: Correct, and that's the thing, right? They, they've probably been training, watching. I mean, their sole focus is this match as well. So they've probably been training, just focus on tactics, you know, doing maybe set plays just for this match. So that maybe gives them an advantage. But also FCB Femini has a majority of their team that did not participate in this tournament. So they're doing the same thing. But, you know, Martins and Duggan being the best players for FCB Feminine, having them away, especially in this knockout tournament that's going to be, you know, they want to win this tournament. So they're going to put a lot of effort into this recovery time. All these things will add to this match. So again, this March 11th match is going to be Huge, Brian.
2: Yeah, so I'm very excited for it. I cannot wait for it, and I hope that uh, despite these uh, international uh, obligations uh, messing with things, I hope that we can get a win out of this game. Now, we're going to start talking about the first team right after this. Uh, Just to let you know, we are switching things up just a little bit. Normally, we get into talking about our matches in La Liga with a little roundup of the top clubs in the league. Uh, But then every weekend, we don't really have sufficient information to really do a proper review of the league because we record the show before all the games have been played. So Gabriel has started hosting a live stream on Mondays to handle that, where he'll cover what else went on in La Liga. And you can see all the headlines from the Spanish newspapers because, you know, he goes and gets them from, you know, right down. I imagine that it's just a newsstand right on the bottom floor of his building, and it's very charming Um, Now, you can watch that live stream by becoming a Barsatalk supporter. So this is also a new thing that we've started doing. We've set up a support channel through Patreon, which is a simple and user-friendly way to support the creative work of folks like us, people who are creating things that you enjoy consuming. So for you to become a Barsatalk supporter, all we're asking for is a monthly subscription of just $3, which you can... A change, or you can augment, um, or and you can cancel anytime you want. But with that $3, you will have access to the La Liga Roundup on Monday. Any other bonus audio, video, live streams, any bonus content that we create, you'll have access to that as a Barca Talk supporter. And we will also hold drawings for prizes as we meet certain goals that we've set. Now, our first goal, since we've just started this off, is to reach 100 patrons for the show and that actually is only a fraction of the number of people who listen to the show but once we've reached 100 patrons we'll hold a drawing from the pool of patrons for a you know customized 2018-19 Barcelona jersey so that's any name and number you want if you want the home jersey the away jersey you know exactly the size that you need that's going to fit you all of that. We're going to hold a drawing for that from the pool of patrons once we get a hundred of those. So to become a supporter, go to barsatalk.net, go to the support page, and then click on the donate now button, and that'll take you to Patreon so you can join the community, become a supporter, and again, you'll get access to all of our bonus content, and you'll have that chance to win a Barca jersey once we've reached that 100 patron goal. Thanks. Now, on with the show. We had two La Liga matches last week, both with positive results, I would say, though maybe one more positive than the other. And starting with the first match from midweek, we went to the Estadio Gran Canaria in the Canary Islands to play Las Palmas, and we went home with a 1-1 draw. So, you know, little Las Palmas sitting at rock bottom of the table with 19 points going into this match and having suffered a 3-0 loss at the Camp Nou back in the first leg on match day 7, they got up for this game the way that these teams so often do. You know, you, Gabriel, you always point out how matches like these for Las Palmas and other small clubs in the bottom half of the table, it's like their Super Bowl. So they always get up for these matches like crazy. And these guys, man, they were pressing out of their minds in this match. And if you just watch this match, I think you'd ask yourself why they have such a bad record. But, of course, they don't normally play like this. They only play like this against Barcelona or Real Madrid or Atletico, something like that, right?
1: Exactly. And, you know, as I've talked about, these small teams, when they're playing at home, they're always going to press high and try to make the luck work for them. Now, Brian, when you are an underdog team you have to have A, B, C, D, and E work for you in order for that upset to happen, right? And most teams in La Liga, they'll have A, they'll have B happen, but then maybe Barcelona will score and that kind of negates everything. Or they'll go through A, B, C, D, and then something will happen and then Barcelona will win the match. But in this match, there was a lot of things that happened for Las Palmas that led to this result of one-to-one. Now, for me, I knew this was going to be a tough match, especially what had happened in the last two weeks, the lineup we trotted out, going to the Canary Islands. Also, that we weren't really that interested in this match. Remember, this first match we played at home was the match we played behind closed doors right. during the Catalan Independence, Oh yeah, which was a very, very weird match. Weird. I don't know if you remember that. So, yeah, and so there was a lot of things going on. And before we dive into this game, you know, La Liga is difficult, you know, and I know Las Palmas is a terrible team, but once in a while they're professionals, they'll get up for a match here and there. And if we're not up for the match and our lineup doesn't help us with that match, as we're going to talk about a little bit more, then this is the result we're going to have as a 1-1. However... If I look back in the last two to three years, this type of match, we lose. And we get no points. So for me, I look at this as, you know, I I didn't like the way we played. I didn't like the lineup. I didn't like a lot of things as a match. However, as we've talked about in earlier podcasts... We were able to play ugly and get a point. Yeah, and it turned
2: out that that's what but, was needed, right?
1: Exactly, but it was magnified more because the night before Atletico won four nothing, and so the pressure was on to either get a win or do better, and we sucked. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, we did. So let's let's dive into it. Let's start with the lineup and a kind of a tactical analysis. Naturally, we had Ter Stegen in goal. Back four was pretty solid. Alba was out with a yellow card suspension, so we had Sergi, Umtiti, Vermaelen, resting PK, and Dina. And then in the midfield, Busquets, Polly, Iniesta, I guess Vidal, maybe he was more of a forward, but then in the front, I don't know, it was more of a four four two. 4 2 But then in the front, Messi, Suarez. So where's Denny Suarez? That's my first question. Where is Denny Suarez? He wasn't even on the bench. What is that about? I is he
1: injured? Is he suspended? Well, I mean, Denny Suarez is is on the outs. Obviously, Val is not does not have confidence in him. He doesn't even put him on the list. So uh, Brian Dennis Suarez is out. I mean, that's just plain and simple. Yeah. Like, he hasn't been on the list in a, the, probably the last four or five matches. But for me, know. you know, for me, Brian, I don't mind the four four two. Okay, and I've been I've been clamoring for this on Twitter and so forth. But to have an effective 442, you have to have two forwards. Right? Right. You can't have one of them be Messi. Exactly. And Messi floats too much to be a forward up at the front. And I love Messi, you know, obviously I love Messi. He's a playmaker, and in this 442, he can play a false nine, but we still need a forward to press on the right side. We need balance. We need someone to occupy that space to help Suarez. But for the defense, it's so easy to mark up because they just have to play half the field. And so when I look at this lineup, I'm fine with the defense. Sergio, Umtiti, Vermalin, digna, Fine with that. Busquets, Pauli, Iniesta, Vidal. Eh, I would do without Pauli, maybe. You know, I would put, I would rather put Denis Suarez or even Sergio Roberto up there. Maybe... Vidal back on defense but for me it's the top it's Messi and Suarez you're really only playing a 4-4-1-1 type of deal right and so for me you know that to me is a little bit discouraging because you know Messi is always going to go left and Suarez is going to pin up on let the left side but there's no one on the right and as we saw in this match we needed someone desperately on that right now I want to give Paco the opportunity to play in this 4-4-2 I think he would thrive in this tremendously and I've been clamoring for this you know I don't mind as we talked about in previous episodes the 433 the 442 but if we're going to play a 442 we definitely need to have two true forwards at the top
2: I know I totally agree with you and especially you know seeing the few times that Paco and Suarez have been out there it's been actually it's been looking pretty good it it hasn't had amazing results yet but they also haven't done it very much and I think maybe taking one player out of the midfield, you know, like, I'm sorry, lose Vidal, right? Lose Vidal, keep Messi as the, the central playmaker or the floating playmaker, as he will be, and then have Suarez and Paco up front.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And the other thing, too, is I don't know, if Brian, if you know in hockey when they do their lineup, so they have one lineup, their, you know, their top lineup, and then they have a second lineup and a third lineup. But they have these defensive pairings, basically, that have played together and they have chemistry, and they're going to work well together. I think we need to adopt a similar philosophy with our bench. So, for example, Digne and Vidal. So whenever we, like, for example, in Canary, they're going to play that matchup. They're going to be the pairing on the wings that they know going forward. They're going to work together. They're going to work with the midfield. They know they're going to have the playing time. I think this is the type of philosophy we have to adopt going forward because... As I've heard on videos, on the sports shows here, on different podcasts, and I agree, is that you roll out Digne. Digne didn't have a great game, but he didn't have a bad game either. But he doesn't play enough where he doesn't have the chemistry with the midfield. And that's part of the problem is we play so many matches, we need to to have a little bit more rotation, but also the rotation with the same players that they know how to play with each other. I mean, it's a very difficult thing because, as I've noted on Twitter and on Facebook and and so forth, that everyone has their own idea of what the lineups should be. We know we have to use the bench, but there has to be a better way to use the bench and get good results going forward. Yeah, I
2: mean, you know, part of the bench is there just for kind of like emergency backups, right? Like, you'll always have Sillison on the bench just in case, you know, God forbid, something happens to Ter right? Either, uh, you know, some horrible, like... Horrible ejection situation, or it, even worse, an injury, right? But he's there for emergency backup. But in general, you're, you know, you got a couple spots for those. But in general, you know, you should have a, a plan for, like you're saying, these specific lineups to be the substitutes to come on. Or, you know, if you're going to have, you know, you're going to have squad rotation in the starting 11, it should be, like you're saying, these guys who are working together with a very specific purpose in mind and like they know that they're going to play together. And it's these grades of lineups so that they, they can plan and they can, you know, they can train together and they know what's going to be going on.
1: Exactly. So, for example, you know, you for like our Team A, right, the best team, Champions League final, let's say, we're going to trot out PK and MTT. That's going to be our top pairing. Obviously. But against, yeah, and, and against Las Palmas, for me, I wouldn't mind seeing Vermalin out there with Yuri Minha. You know, so for me, just build that confidence, build that going forward. Our defense is good enough. These players are good enough that they should be able to do well. They're going to give you 100% because they're playing Las Palmas and this is their opportunity to play. And so pair these kind of, you know, defensive pairings, these midfield pairings so that they know how to play with each other. And going forward, when they have to go into a Las Palmas game, they're not scared, they know how to play with each other, and we can get the, a better result than just a 1-1 tie.
2: Yeah, it, it does sometimes seem like the squad rotations—and this is not peculiar to Val Green. This is fairly commonplace um, across most of European football, from what I can observe, is that it's, it's a very sort of every man for himself kind of, you know, this is your opportunity to shine as an individual a uh, kind of situation where, like, okay, you're getting the start in this match for one reason or another, right? Dina got the start in this match because Alba ha- was on suspension, or Dina will get starts when Alba is injured. But it would also, I think it would be good if it weren't just Dina, but it were Dina and Vidal. They know they're going to play against sides like Las Palmas, um, uh, who else? Hatafe, you know, yeah. Malaga, that sort of thing.
1: Exactly. Before we get into the kind of the in-game notes, just my last thing is that, you know, I've been, uh, you know, we've seen my rise and fall of my Paulinho fandom. Right. But I just think ultimately his best position for FC Barcelona is to come in as a second half sub for the last 15 minutes of the match. I don't think he is a starter. And when he comes in this 4-4-2, he doesn't add anything. He's not dynamic. He doesn't take any players 1v1. And so for me, especially, for example, in today's Atletico match, when he came in the second half, he gives that extra muscle in the 15 minutes that helps us. And I think that's what suits him. But when he starts in this match, again, he's almost like Andres Gomez, where he's just a guy out there. And that just, we just can't have that going forward. Yeah,
2: I think you're right. I mean, Again, we were really happy. We've been really happily surprised with Paulinho's performance for the club, but the way that he helps the club the most is when he's coming on later as a strong physical presence with plenty of fresh legs and energy to finish out a match.
1: Exactly. I mean, again, my mom would be super happy with his hustle, especially at the end of the match. I think he's a great player for those last 15 minutes when the other team is really tired after chasing us. And he can just chase those rebounds and make those kind of plays with the header in those last 15 minutes where it makes the difference.
2: But yeah, when you put him in for all 90, it's just it's just not the same. But let's get into the game. Uh, so I have a couple of things, just a few things that I want to talk about in the first half. In the In the eighth minute, there was this situation where Messi and Suarez were in on goal, just one defender and the goalkeeper. And when that play broke out, I figured for sure, I mean, this was a play that, like, this is absolutely going to be, a goal we're gonna make this 1-0 before it's the game's even 10 minutes in but Chichisola the goalkeeper he came out and Messi passed the ball to Suarez and Suarez's attempt was I don't know maybe a little half-hearted or Chichisola just really shut him down or something but I can't believe that that play broke down and they didn't score in that eighth minute
1: now if I remember correctly was that the pass that Messi gave to Suarez yeah is that is that the one okay it was the one, so yeah. yeah so I think that pass You know, you never really see this from Messi because Messi is such a great passer. But that pass was a suicide ball, you know, where he almost, you know, left Suarez out to dry on that play. I think this is the play. You know, when FC Barcelona plays these lower tier teams, you know, in the beginning of the match, they're so supremely more talented that they feel like they're going to have so many more chances. Now, if we were to watch this match again, we would probably say, you know, Suarez, you need to take a better chance at this goal because there were not that many chances going after this, after especially after Messi scored. We have to take every opportunity and just put Las Palmas away. And with every minute that Las Palmas held us scoreless, you know, going forward, they got more confidence, and you know, we weren't able to break that wall of their defense.
2: Yeah, and but so you think that it was uh, it was the pass from Messi that was not not. Not on for that.
1: Correct on that one. If I remember correctly, it wasn't a really great pass. And you know, this is, you know, obviously Messi can't always be a hundred percent with his passing accuracy and passing speed. But I think on this one, if I remember correctly, he kind of gave Suarez a hospital ball, as we like to say, where it was basically a one v one with the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper was going down to ground essentially to break up the play. So, um, you know, uh, again. If we're watching the first 15 minutes, we were controlling the pace. We had the more opportunities. Again, I would have probably said, oh, we're going to win this match 3 nothing." But obviously, you know, with a couple missed chances here and there, Las Palmas grew in confidence going forward in the match.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then we had this other chance just a few minutes later when Messi got a free kick. And again, Chichisola saved it. And it was a very good save because it was a really good shot. And the play that set up this shot I found interesting because... Dani Castellano, the Las Palmas defender, he was dragging, dragging Messi, you know, by the jersey for several yards and Messi, you know, who usually we say Messi never dives. He, well, he certainly doesn't dive, but he doesn't go down very easily either. But he finally went down just outside the the arc that comes outside of the box. And it occurred to me for the first time ever that Messi might have deliberately stayed up until he got to a good spot for a free kick before he went down and he because he didn't have a clear pass he didn't have an outlet of any sort and he wasn't going to get a shot that much was obvious just because of how you know he was being dragged by Castellano but he also could have gone down sooner but he stayed up until he was at a good spot and then his free kick was totally spot on and just you know again Chichisole came up with a great save is has that am am I being a conspiracy theorist here or is this weird
1: no i mean i think it's very true because Maybe, you know, he felt he had the advantage enough to carry the ball even further to get closer and then just to um, use what had happened before. You know, he's obviously the referee can see the jostling that's going around and Messi can use that to carry the distance and then just fall and then have that free kick set up. So I don't think that's very far off, you know. Messi is a smart motherfucker, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's all we can say, you know? Oh, man. I mean, I wouldn't put... You're going to get it it from your mom for saying that. I know. I wouldn't put it past him, though, but, you know, I mean, I definitely... You know, this is the thing is that Messi, he always is... Not only knows where the player's around him, but he also knows spatially where he is on the field. So if he feels that he can carry, quote-unquote, carry this player all the way to the top of the arc... Where he can get a better shot on, I mean, would you would you even think that he didn't think about that? I mean, I just he's the Bobby Fisher of football, you know, so he could. That's true. I you mean, know, he's he would cunning think about, and wily and smart. <laughs> exactly, and he would think of these scenarios where he's like, "I'm going to." Oh no, this guy's riding me on my back. I'm going to carry it as far as I can, and here I go, and I go down, and I have a better shot on goal.
2: Yeah, and like I can score from here, you know, because again, he like he wasn't going to get. An honest shot at that point, because he was going to go down one way or the other. Castellano was going to make sure of that, so exactly. at least he's thinking like, okay, well, at least let me try and get to a place where I can, you know, get a good get a good angle on the free kick. Okay, okay, so I'm not crazy for thinking that. Man, good see, because here's the thing: I have some beef with Messi, and and here's the setup for for this in this match. I have beef with Messi, so 20 minutes, we got a goal, our one and only goal of the match from Messi on his second free kick attempt. And kind of a similar situation. And, you know, he almost didn't score because Chichisola let it go in because he just shifted to his left a little bit as Messi was winding up and he couldn't get back to save it. And I think it was because he just, for whatever reason, Chichisola wasn't trusting his wall. He wasn't trusting the guys in his his wall, I guess. And he got caught out. Had he just not shifted to the left, he, he could have got a hand on that. But here's actually the beef I have with Messi in this game. And I know that it's like sacrilege or whatever to have a problem with Messi. But you know, like you said, he's human, he's not perfect, he doesn't he's not always 100%. But sometimes I think that he lets his ego get away from him a little bit and when when teams are playing him so tight and pressing the way that Las Palmas were in this match, he does have a tendency to start trying too much to beat these guys with his dribbling and control to sort of prove that he can do it. And this play that led up to that free kick, it was just like that. He was all alone up front, and he had four guys coming in on him, and he just barrels ahead. And maybe he's figuring that the best result in this situation is to go ahead and get fouled, get the free kick, another kind of situation where it's like, get the good position. Or, you know, maybe he'll be able to break through and score. He'll have a free kick, which is something at least. I don't know. But I felt like through a lot of this match he was trying to put the whole team on his shoulders a little too much and of course on the other side of that is that there wasn't the uh the team movement happening like guys weren't advancing enough to give him the opportunity to to make plays now again i think a lot of that had to do with the fact with that las palmas were pressing so hard but just in that moment i feel like why not you know hold it up try and like get get the numbers forward and develop the play and do that sort of thing rather than just try and barrel ahead and either get the free kick or dribble through four guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree. Uh, I would say I agree 40%, Brian, but uh, <laughs> okay. you know, um, I'll take that. I mean, the thing is he got the goal off this free kick. And again, this, this goal off this free kick was, you know, just power and pace. There was nothing because he was so close. He was able to put down the corner with the accuracy. And again, um, as a fellow left footer, Whenever I see the angle of where the free kick is, I say, oh my God, I would love this angle because the angle where he was able to set up on this free kick was a left footer's dream, you know, because you're able to drive the ball to that left corner. You don't have to aim too hard. Uh, Again, being left footed and for the goalie, it's an awkward reverse type of angle that they're not really used to. So I knew we were gonna have a good opportunity when this happened. But, you know, I agree. I think, you know, I just think in this match, you know, especially in the first, you know, 25, 30 minutes where we had some opportunities, um, Messi was definitely trying to carry the team, and I think he was trying to get that 3 nothing victory at halftime so he wouldn't have to play in the second half. That's what it kind of looked like to me. And maybe Valverde said to him, you know, if we get to 3 nothing you're sitting out. So Messi was trying to do as much as he could to create opportunities to get the goal and to to have us put away that match in the first half. But obviously that didn't happen. So, I mean, I agree with you part, partly, but at the same time, again, since we're in this weird four four two with not a true forward going forward, really we only have going forward is Messi and Suarez. And if Messi's not creating, Suarez goes off sides, <laughs> and then we don't have a goal. So it's right. just kind of this... Again, I would rather have Paco up there and this four-four-two. If we're going to go with a four-four-two, and have Messi play make, and use Paco and Suarez interchange and try to do some plays there, but again, it was two against four essentially. I mean, that's essentially what it was with some overlaps here and there, with Digne. Vidal wasn't doing that much, so again, I think Messi just you know as he always does when. Were undermanned he just feels he has to put everyone on his shoulders and carry the team
2: yeah and on one hand that's part of what makes him so great in addition to all of his you know incredible skills and his vision and his invention and i mean everything i mean he's obviously i, I will always say that he's probably the best player ever right I, and i'm not unique there i'm not alone in that but it's just i i i felt like in this match it was maybe just a combination of the whole, the lineup and the tactical situation and how Las Palmas were playing us that they're just, we very rarely got numbers going forward and Messi I felt was in that situation, sometimes trying to do too much. And yes, in this situation, it worked out. He worked a good free kick and it was a, I mean, he worked the foul, right? And then he took a beautiful free kick and scored. Um, But there were other times throughout the match when he was doing similar things, and he wasn't getting those same results. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, I'm just thinking maybe there's another way. But in any case, let's talk about the, uh, the referee for this match. Because uh, this, this guy, he's sort of, he's notorious with us at least, uh, Mateo Laos. Uh, he's one of the better uh, La Liga referees, is what I said. But, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that, that could be construed as me saying that he's a good ref. Uh, and your your comment to me when we were talking about this before, when we were preparing for the show, is that uh, he is not a good ref. And I'm wondering, is that because of Chichizola's potential handling of the ball outside of the box at the end of the first half, uh, or some another thing, or what? What was it?
1: For me, in, with these refs in La Liga, is one, they have no support from La Liga, like. La Liga never tells other teams you can't talk about the refs or they never have the refs back. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I remember a couple, uh, maybe more, maybe 15 podcasts ago that you said La Host was a good ref, and I said, uh, I don't think he really is. And you're like, no, he's one of the better ones. And after further research and my own point of view – Brian, I have to disagree. He is not a good ref. I just think that he, I just think he has one of those faces where you just think that he's a better ref than he is. But again, I just hate the way the refs make decisions here in La Liga, without conferring with their linesmen and talking with their fourth official. For me, that drives me crazy. It's it's just, you know, especially on this this last play before the first half where the goalkeeper, I mean it's as clear as day that he handles the ball with his hand outside the box. And how is it not the sideline official doesn't see it? How is it not the fourth official doesn't see it? But LaJos just waves his hand and says, I didn't see the play. Okay, so I understand. If you didn't see the play, that's fine. But you have support. You have the linesman. You have the fourth official. Go ask them. And he barely went to go talk to them. So that Yeah, what do you have those headsets for? Yeah, exactly. What's he? What's he listening to? Like uh, cool rock music from the Z eighties or what? Like, oh like, yeah, maybe uh, he's
2: listening to Richard Marks <laughs>
1: or Brian Adams. Hold on to the night or what? What's he like? <laughs> Everything but, I do, I do it for you. Exactly. I mean, the thing just drives me crazy. I just don't like how the refs just automatically just say no. Now, obviously, we're going to have VAR next year in La Liga, but Brian, you know, and I know that's that's just going to be chaos going forward. <laughs> yeah, it's going to help us, you know, with better decisions. And, you know, obviously, you know, with as an FC Barcelona fan, we're going to have calls go either way. And I am I just want better refereeing. And it has nothing to do with the VAR. I'm just saying La Liga needs to have a stronger stance to help the, the refs. But also the refs, with their linesman, their fourth official, have to have a better communication. Because in this play, I mean, when I was watching... From my angle here on BN in in Spain, they showed seven different angles, and Lahoz was able to see. Like you can see Lahoz seeing the angles, so I don't know how he wasn't able to see this particular play, especially when the keeper's coming out and he handles the ball with his hand. That's an automatic red card. Come on, what is his amateur hour?
2: Yeah, yeah. I uh, you know I think you're right though. Uh, I mean, you know, I spent a little bit of time refereeing, and uh, we. <laughs> We, I went to like referee camps and did like all day training sessions and I'm sure that these guys have done a lot of training. You have to do plenty of training to get to that level. but when you're at that level, you have to keep training. you know like the, the guys who referee in the Champions League, for example, these are the best referees in Europe and even they recognize that they get things wrong and they still go and they do more training and they are constantly working on how they can improve their officiation. Of the match. And I think one thing that you point out that's so elemental to refereeing is that the purpose for having lines referees, linesmen, is not just to make offside calls, right? They're there as as your backups. The whole idea is that you have one who's gonna run from the end line to the halfway lane on one side and the, the opposite end line to the halfway line on the other side that, so that there's always a diagonal system and you get as many possible eyes on whatever play that you need. And, you ha- and so the referee has to confer with the linesman,
1: always. So my, my other beef is it's okay if you didn't see the play. It's okay if you're wrong in that moment. But if someone else had a better angle, especially the linesman or the fourth official, Confer with them. Make the better call. Like, that's exactly. what we're looking at for. Exactly. And on this play, especially that led to the next goal for Las Palmas. I mean, what's going on there?
2: Well, let's talk about that goal. Yeah. I mean, so it's 47th minute, just the very early moments of the second half. Barca gave up this penalty on a corner kick when Agüero Garay went down in the box off some contact from Sergi, and I I did think that this was probably something you were referring to when you were talking about Laos. It was a soft penalty at best, but when you have the benefit of replay and the right camera angle, you can tell that it, it didn't look at all like Sergi pushed him, or even that there was much of anything in the contact. And that's, on a corner kick, that's exactly something that the the linesman would have would have seen, because he was on that touchline, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But Aguirre, just, he just went down trying to get to the ball because it was a little bit out of his reach. So he threw his body at the ball. He got his head on it. He did that all on his
1: own. But then Laos calls a penalty, and Caleri put it away to make it 1-1. Usually, the defense has the advantage on corner kicks. I mean, that's just the way it is. Whenever there's a foul, the defense usually gets the benefit of the of the call. But on this play, for whatever reason, and Laos was even in position to see the play, and there was another... I think it was um uh, that went down before this that they could have called a foul on Las Palmas and they didn't. And then Sergio Roberto pushed and yeah, but it was a flimsy push at best, not even worthy enough to be a penalty. And these are the type of decisions, you know, especially this one and the one before of not missing the handball that were people here, especially in Madrid in the papers. Or you know other obviously on Twitter with uh, people that follow Barcelona where they just think that the ref just has a maderlista point of view and I know refs aren't perfect I you know in a, all my experience of sports right I know they're they're trying their best and whatnot but also just. Talk to the other refs. I mean, that's all I ask. You know, I don't want them to just deny what happened and not have any kind of discussion. For me, that just drives me crazy.
2: Yeah, no, it's absolutely infuriating because that's that's bad officiating. That's I mean, there's just no other way to to say that. If you're not using your other officials, you know, you're a team. If you're not operating as a team, then you're not officiating as effectively and fairly as you could.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, and you know, for the rest of the match, we played like shit. You know, like we we had no ganas. We had no spirit. We had no... We were thinking about the Atletico match. As I had here, Suarez, he obviously he was on the yellow card. I think Paco should have played and started because since Suarez had that yellow card, he couldn't play his normal quote-unquote Hulk style where he was full of rage and really going after it. I think he was... Obviously, he was trying to be cautious and not get a second yellow card, so he had to meet, miss the Atletico match. But overall, I just think, you know, after Las Palmas scored and we just kind of we got in this malaise and we had no inspiration. And, and like I said, we just played like shit. Yeah. Well,
2: I want to talk about a couple of the substitutions, right? Because in the 57th minute, Coutinho replaced Vidal, and then later on in the 75th, Dembele came on for Iniesta. Do you think... Uh, one of our listeners and my my sort of a game time chat buddy on Instagram, Luke, felt that Dembele and Coutinho should have started in this match for sure. How do you feel about that? Should they yeah, have I mean, started I agree. I mean I Dahl and someone else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I first of all, I think Dembele especially against Las Palmas should start because that's going to give him the confidence going forward because Las Palmas is not that good and he's able to to maybe score a goal or do a, an assist here and there and that's going to give him confidence going against better teams or higher profile teams, but I totally agree. I mean, I think Coutinho should have started. Why not get these points if, you know, if we're going to go B "quote unquote" B team then don't play Messi. Don't play Suarez and just roll out our team and just say, you know, we're saving ourselves for the Atletico game. But don't half ass this. You know, don't make Messi go out there and try his ass off and then just get this one one tie, you know? And Suarez like like as I said, Suarez should have not played. I think Paco should have played, Dembele should have played. We should have been in a 4-3-3. I think that would have been a better system for us, especially against this Las Palmas team. But overall just very disappointing. Just just because we needed to get these points obviously we were able to beat atletico today so obviously we have had a favorable week but at the same time the i think this scenario could have been avoided with a better lineup and just a better system
2: yeah a better lineup for this match because on paper it looks like a good lineup but it just it wasn't actually for this
1: match exactly and i you know for example let's say if we took suarez and messi out of this match let's say if we took them out and we go 433 if we go Coutinho, um Dembele, I don't know, Vidal up up at the up at the front and then maybe Busquets, Rakitic and Iniesta and then we go Vermalen, Mina, Digne, and Sergio Roberto. I think we'd be okay. And yeah. we would give we give, For me the most important thing right now in this in these lower tier games is to give Dembele more playing time so he can help us going forward because He's one of those players that's so dynamic and take on defenders 1v1, unlike my favorite player, Andres Gomez, you know, (laughs) Uh, you know, he if if I'm defending against Mbele, I'm already scared. I don't know if he's going to go left. I don't know if he's going to right. I don't know if he's going to beat me with a faint move. I don't know if he's going to beat me with his speed. There's so many things. But with Andres Gomez or Paulinho or uh, Dennis Suarez, even maybe I'm not as scared as them. And so I think yeah. Dembele needs to get more playing time. I mean, that's why we paid so much money for him.
2: Right, right. Yeah. Why, put him to use. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, for me, the biggest shock of this match was actually how Las Palmas were able to keep up the pace of, the, of their game, of that pressing game, all the way to the 96th minute. You know, I mean, most other teams, when they play Barca this way, they run out of steam in the latter stages and we can get a goal. But they really stayed in there and they made themselves a nuisance all the way to the end. That honestly did surprise me. And I have to hand it to them for for sticking it out like that. You could tell by the end they were exhausted, but they were still pushing, you know, and keeping that pressing going.
1: No, I think that's a good point. And, you know, Paco Jimenez, the the coach of Las Palmas, he always has these crazy tactics for his team. And Las Palmas responded. And when they got that equalizer goal, I knew we were going to be in a little bit of trouble because... I knew the way, as you just noted, Las Palmas was pressing us and the way they were playing us, and also that we didn't have more people going forward, that this was going to be a tough match to get the three points from.
2: Yeah, and, and, and the big heartbreak of drawing in this match, because a draw is not a bad result you know, in the long run, but the big heartbreak of this draw was that it was against Las Palmas. It's a team that's flirting dangerously with relegation, and of course this brings it all the way back to where we started when we were started talking about this match, you know, if it were a draw with Celta or Legones, you could understand that. I mean, yeah, they're not a top team, but they're top of the table team and you know that they can bring it. Uh, But this was one that, you know, we were supposed to absolutely win. But then again, that brings up exactly what you mentioned earlier, which is that La Liga is actually a pretty tough league. And even the bottom of the table teams can be difficult to play when they want to be, or when, you know, when they're up for it. Then again, we were talking about this the other day. You know, last year, or we were talking about this earlier today even. Last year, we would have lost this game.
1: Exactly. And the other thing that annoys me is, for example, I was watching – I always say I, I, I'm going to stop watching this, but I, I can't stop watching it. So I'm just going <laughs> to. It's your guilty pleasure. Yeah, it's my guilty pleasure. <laughs> ESPN, ESPN FC, right? So oh, they yeah. were talking about how, oh, my God, Barcelona lost to Las Palmas and da-da-da-da-da and what's going on with Val Green and all these things. And But the thing that really annoys me about the ESPN FC crew is that they're very EPL-focused, right? So if Man City, for example, lost to Newcastle, Would they be so up in arms about it? No. They would say, okay, the EPL, that happens. You know, it's every Sunday is a different match. And Newcastle came to play and the conditions were right, their tactics were right, and Newcastle was able to get the victory. But when Las Palmas gets this 1-1 tie, they didn't beat FC Barcelona. They pretend like FC Barcelona lost to, I don't know. Uh, High school team or something It it drives me crazy I mean if you watch the match For this game, for this match For this 90 minutes, Las Palmas brought it And they played well They deserve the points just as much as Barcelona And Barcelona, because of their lineup Because of their tactics, just fell short They could have got the three points and they just fell short Las Palmas came to play, as we always say Lower tier teams when they are home Against Barcelona, they get up for it It's it's always going to be a sellout because all the, the fans want to come out to see the star players. And there's just a better environment. And the team feeds off of that. And, you know, especially after this week, we got the points off Las Palmas. And we got the victory at the Atletico Madrid. You know, last year, we may have got this loss off Las Palmas. So for me, as I saw on the Twitter reaction, kool just need to calm down. We're talking about the whole season. Cannot win every match.
2: Yeah. And we still haven't lost a match well but we'll get into that um at the end of the atletico uh match discussion so uh i notice here that you do not have a man of the match for this las palmas game i don't
1: other than Messi, obviously i would have picked Messi because he scored the goal and i think he really cared about this match but everyone else sucked
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I know i feel you i I, i mean like okay so let me tell you about mine i felt obligated ...to pick a man of the match. And of course, we always pick a man of the match other than Messi... ...because we just assume that Messi is the man of the match. So we try and pick someone else. And I felt obligated to pick someone. Uh, and honestly, yeah, the, it was a tough match. We didn't play very well. The whole team looked sluggish, not hustling a whole lot. The attack was not very coordinated. We've talked about all of the lineup issues, the tactical issues... Uh, ...leaving Messi a lot of times alone by himself, trying to be Superman... But if I had to choose someone, I'd go with Busquets only because he's kind of like my default man of the match other than Messi if nobody else really stood out for me.
1: So your man of the match other than Messi default Busquets. <laughs> yeah, default <laughs> no, Busquets. No, I would agree. And the thing t- for me is that in this match, we just looked flat. And and I always it just always baffles me to see the social media reaction with our team. It's just... Yeah, I know we should have won on paper. If we're playing FIFA 2018, we're going to win this match if we just play it 20 times. I get that. But how many times, Brian, can you say that every day you're in it to win it, that you're going to put 130% effort and that you're going to do the best you can? It's impossible, you know? And these matches are tough. Like going to Las Palmas is not an easy place to go. It's it's a bit of a flight. Though Las Palmas and the Canary Islands have the best bananas in the world. However, it's just that we cannot win every match. And I'm happy to get these points because I know in the whole global scheme of the season, we continue to be undefeated.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. So, I mean, again, it, it, there's not a whole lot of great things to talk about when you get start getting into the details. But I'm happy with the result. Or at least I'm satisfied with the result because uh, we're still undefeated. We, we walked away with a point. And Las Palmas was tough. They played hard, and they deserved it. So that's that. Now let's talk about the Atletico Madrid match, which we won one nothing. So going into this, with Atletico in second place, only five points behind Barcelona, this was definitely a pivotal match in the league. And our lineup reflected that, I think. We had Ter Stegen, Sergi Umtiti, PK Alba, Busquets, Coutinho, Iniesta, Rakitic and Messi Suarez. And on BN they were lining it up as a 4-3-1-2 with Coutinho and Suarez up front. Um what were they showing over there in Spain.
1: They were showing here on Spain a 4-1-1-1 No, I'm just kidding. They were showing <laughs> <laughs> they were showing a 4-3-3 here. Um you know, when I when I first saw the lineup I was very happy about it because I knew Coutinho was going to be important in the match and I thought him being up there with Suarez and Messi was going to add uh, a dynamic because in the Las Palmas match, as we talked about, we were missing that dynamic player who can beat a defender 1v1 and I knew having Coutinho up front was going to help us going forward in this match.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well... As far as uh, in the game itself, um, athletic were playing tough just as we expected, um, plenty of tight marking, fouls, playing physically, trying to get Barca off their game uh, specifically in the first half, and then looking for that that breakaway counter attack that was their game plan in the first half. And I do think it changed in the second half, but uh, focusing just on the first half right now, what did you think about how how things looked in the first you know 20 minutes, 30 minutes?
1: I mean, this is going to be the typical, you know, especially under Simeone in the last six years. This is how he lines up. 4-4-2, strong defensive concentration and counter. Now, obviously, with Costa and Griezmann, he has a better forward duo to do the the counter. But fortunately for us, they didn't have many opportunities today, especially in the, the first half. And, you know, I was really happy with the lineup because I thought that, Like I said, um, we're going to be strong in every level of the field, defensively, midfield, and forward. And Atleti had, as I saw at the end of the match, I think zero attacking occasions the whole match.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, for our attacking occasions, there was one moment in the 21st minute where Messi got out of a four-man rush. And I, I guess, I mean, he was trying this at Las Palmas, and it didn't work. And then he tries it against Atleti, and it does. and It was incredible. And then he managed to get off a shot. It was on target, but it was also kind of dead on and an easy save for Oblak. But then five minutes later, Messi gets the goal. And honestly, he is actually, I think, really on fire with his free kicks right now. It was in the top corner, and it actually brushed right off of Oblak's fingertips.
1: Messi's free kicks in the past, I would want to say three seasons, have really elevated, where not only is he scoring more goals, but he's also getting more... Uh, I want to say more opportunities where the goalie has to make a save. And on this play, this goal was, I would say, really impressive because Diego Costa and Jimenez were in the middle of the wall, and he hit it over them after they jumped, where Oblak kind of reacted late. I think that's part of the problem because when you have Diego Costa and Jimenez, the two tallest players on Leti, in the middle of the wall, they both jump, and then the ball goes over it, and it's perfectly placed in in the right corner, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, it wasn't hit that hard. You know, like as you're watching on TV, it wasn't uh, compared to the Las Palmas free kick, right? The Las Palmas free kick was definitely hit, hit way harder than the one yeah. on Atletico. But the placement and also the way it went over the wall and, and kind of, you know, when you're a goalkeeper, you, know, you see Diego Costa and Jimenez as, as, your, as your wall, you say, okay, I'm okay. Yeah. The ball has to be the ball has to be hit they perfectly. Got this. Exactly. <laughs> and if you watch the replay, Costa and Jimenez jump even higher than I would have thought. And Messi accounted for that and still gets the goal. <laughs> like, is this guy serious? Like and when I was watching with my friends at, at my friend's house, we were watching this match. First of all, as being a left footed as I know as I noted before, it was already a better angle for Messi. But also, he already had, I think, two free kicks prior. And so he had already gauged you know, the pace, the accuracy of what he wanted to do. And, I mean, it's just another free kick goal for Messi. I mean, what can we say? And obviously, this was the game winner. We didn't know that was going to happen. But Messi is so dangerous now with those free kicks.
2: Yeah. And, you know, now that we're talking about it, it makes me feel like, in a way, the draw with Las Palmas might have actually been a good thing in the long run because of how something like that, again, it wasn't a loss, but a draw against Las Palmas can be the kind of thing that could really, really actually motivate you to do better in the next match. And you know that that next match is important.
1: I would agree. And the other thing too is that, you know, maybe they were hyper-focused on this Atleti match. You know, all the media here in Spain are focused on it. Today, when I was reading the paper, they were all the papers were focused on it. Everyone's focused on it. And I agree, you know, maybe sometimes you just, you know, having this midweek match against Las Palmas was a terrible thing to have in the schedule, you know, because, you know, you look at the table, Las Palmas is not performing well and you you say to yourself, okay, we should just be be able to beat them and we don't. But for me, I think the most important thing is that, you know, from the onset Barcelona was out to get it. You know, they had the possession, they looked really dangerous. They were actually taking some chances going forward And so for me, I really like that because this was an important match, you know? And if they can respond like this against Chelsea, I think we should be fine going forward in Champions League as well.
2: Yeah, totally. Now, uh, I have one little note about that, that, the play that led up to the foul that set up Messi for that goal. It was a great play, and it started with Sergi, my boy, charging downfield, putting the ball in for Coutinho, and first touch off his heel to Suarez, and then Suarez's shot rebounded to Messi who then got fouled and he got the free kick and I I mean I just thought that play was beautiful I wish that the goal would have come from that just because I I, you know I prefer goals that come from the run of play like from an artistic uh, standpoint I'll take a goal however it comes ultimately but you know if I had if I had my pick which of course I don't I would have loved for that to have ended in a goal because I thought it was just such a beautiful play but anyway there's are definitely some other things to talk about in this match aside from that one goal. Um mainly in the 35th minute, Iniesta had to come off with what looked like a slight injury to his hamstring maybe and of all the players to come on for Iniesta, who at that point had been having a I think a man of the match level performance was Andre Gomes.
1: I mean, Brian, I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I went, went, When I saw him warming up and then the sideline reporter on the Spanish BN said, Andres Gomez coming in. I just turned to my friend and I said, is this are, – are you kidding me right now? <laughs> How I...
2: – Right Okay, well, let, let me co- – why don't you collect yourself because we got this from one of our listeners, Frederick Fredrickson, one of our devoted listeners in Denmark. Normally, I just like to use first names, but I figure this is a pretty common Danish name, so I don't think I'm, I'm risking or compromising Frederick's anonymity here, and I, and I love his name. So Fred, Frederick says, um, he, he sent this message to us on Facebook during the game. He says, right now, I'm watching the Atletico game, and the white count, Don Andres, has just been substituted by Andre Gomsch. And like most Barca fans, I just can't believe it. Why is this guy on our team? But most of all, how can he keep on getting picked? When he's at his very best, he's okay, but nothing more. And at his worst, he's a disaster. Why is he picked before Denis Suarez, Alenia, Golinho, etc.? And I assume that's Paulinho. I like that. And how can he keep on getting playing time? Obviously, the manager has faith in him. I just don't see why, and I don't think any of us can see why. And he asks us, Could we please talk about why this guy keeps getting picked? Is it something contractual? And what does he contribute? Is it solely physique or what? What is it? I mean, Brian. You don't know. I don't know.
1: I loathe this guy so much. I I don't want to say hate, but I loathe him so much. And at this, this viewing when I was at my friend's house, there was a woman there who was a Real Madrid fan. And she was rooting for Atletico just to be anti-Barca. And as soon as Andres Gomes came in, my friend started talking about the interview, the famous interview where he said nothing. And right. this woman said, "What are you guys talking about?" So I showed her the interview, and she just started laughing. And I said, "Exactly. I don't <laughs> get this mf'er. Like <laughs> this guy, this guy doesn't do anything." And I, and I got a tweet. We got a tweet from. Let's see. We got a tweet on Twitter that says, "I don't think he played that bad." And I and I just Brian, as we before we we, we started recording, I said that's the problem. We, we're, exactly. We're FC Barcelona. We're not we're not asking players to not be bad, you know, <laughs> yeah. to to be a five out of ten, you know. We need players right. that are more dynamic. We're FC Barcelona. We want these amazing players that inspire football passion not Andres Gomes, that when you ask him what's his favorite book and he says, no sé, which is I don't know, know, right? It's just these type of things. (laughs)
2: Or a movie. Not just your favorite movie, a movie. Correct. And
1: this is the the thing is that I would have much rather had Paulinho if you're going to choose between the two of them. I would have much rather had Paulinho come in because I think Paulinho is a better, I think, antagonist, especially against the physicality of Atletico. But for me, if I had to pick someone, I would have wanted Dembele and just going to the four three three strictly, put Coutinho back into Iniesta's position, and I think it would have been just as dangerous, and we could have gotten more goals in this match.
2: Yeah, totally. Now, also on Gomes, I did get this line from Luke on Instagram again, and I just like the line. He said, if if he, meaning Gomes, if he really wants to help the team, he'll refuse to come on when they tell him to warm up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a good good line <laughs> that's amazing what he's like Val Green's like Comes warm up he's like no <laughs> yes like, you've helped yes, us <laughs> that's the answer we're looking for oh my gosh that is great Luke, Luke to that the is teams. amazing <laughs> thank you for oh that oh my Luke. gosh this guy just killed I mean I'm going to tell you Brian, at this this viewing party that I was watching with my friends, we started playing the Andres Gomes drinking game. Oh yeah, what is that? How does that go? Basically, you have a drink anytime he loses the ball or or does a non-dynamic pass. <laughs> so essentially, All the you know, time. we had a good time at the party. <laughs> anytime the ball gets near
2: Gomes, you're having a drink.
1: Basically, I mean, I think there was maybe one or two plays where he got through, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, it's under his But for the majority of the time, he would pass back, or he would not make the right play, or he would lose the ball. Uh, that was a drink.
2: Yep, yep, and that explains why you're, you know, a little bit, a little bit buzzed right now. That's cool. <laughs> I,
1: yeah, exactly. But yeah, so, so to recap but,
2: the first half, it was honestly a good first half to watch. Like a first, a game of football for me, it just it flew by. And even when we were one goal up, I felt tense. And when that's the situation, that's at least a sure sign that you're watching a good game.
1: No, I agree. And we were saying the same thing at, at, with my friends that we were watching the match. Is that the game flew by? You know, when usually when you have these two uh superpower teams playing against each other they're very conservative and it feels very boring but this match had some action obviously there was the goal of Messi in the first half so that actually helped a lot but yeah I would agree that the match went very fast
2: yeah and then the second half started pretty subdued especially on the Atleti side of things I mean they weren't coming at Barca as hard as they were in the first half and I liked seeing that because I took that to mean that Barcelona had sufficiently weathered the storm in the first half and that Atletico couldn't or didn't want to keep it up in the second. But then again the changes they made were actually working better for them. They were able to hold on to the ball, string some passes together a little bit more, and they actually started looking more threatening. Whereas in the first half, it seemed like they were really focused on just breaking up Barcelona's game rather than playing their own. And then in the second half, they actually came to play their own game.
1: No, I would agree. And the other thing, too, is if you're an Atletico Madrid fan, I think you would be upset with this match because Atletico has enough talent to battle FC Barcelona – but Simeone is so conservative, that helps us, you know? So we're able to possess the ball longer. We're able to develop these plays. And the second half just proved that. We we should have had another goal here and there. But, you know, the majority of the second half, we were able to hold the possession. I think there was maybe a six to eight minute span where uh, Atletico Madrid were really countering on us and really having some opportunities. We weathered that storm, and we were able to go forward. And then we had about 10 minutes where we were kind of knocking on that door to score the goal. But again, having that early goal with Messi definitely helped us going forward for the rest of the match. Yeah. And then in the 78th
2: minute, Suarez nearly had a goal, but he was offside. In that situation, because I know that you are always talking about how you, you know, Suarez can't be offside as much as he is or was he's gotten a lot better about that but in this situation i don't think you can blame him too much for it it was just one of those plays that was in in the melee during the rebound off a corner kick he just happened to get caught in an offside position but he i mean he had it in the goal it just it, you know they called it off for for offside
1: yeah i mean that's a different type of offside that's the type of chaos the superior organization of atletico madrid's defense to catch suarez offside on that that dead ball play but again, I'm talking more when it's the run of play where he just doesn't look behind him and going forward. You know, if anything positive going forward with that play, Brian, I would say it was a really nice finish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but he was offsides and yeah, the goal was was uh, negated on that. Yeah.
2: Now, there was this substitution in the 83rd minute when Paulie came on for Coutinho, and I wanted to know what you thought about that substitution. I felt like uh, I mean, of course, it's Pauly coming in very much in the way that we talk about. He's probably best, which is to come on in the late stages of the game, finish out a match. But I mean, I how was Coutinho playing? Do you think was he delivering? Because that's a very big switch to go from Coutinho to Pauly. And I think it also it made Val Green's intentions very clear: it was that I want to see out this one nil victory. I'm I don't want to take risks on getting another goal. I'm I'm happy with one nothing. And I and I'm. I'm happy with one nothing at the end of it myself, so I'm not complaining. But I'm just wondering what your thoughts were on that substitute.
1: No, I thought it was a good substitute because I think, like we've noted earlier, Paulinho is a better uh, last 15 minutes type of player. And I was telling my friend, look at him, uh, f- his physicality, the way he's able to hold off a defender here and there, where when you're tired and you see a guy of Paulinho's stature – you just don't want to do it and there was a couple times where yeah exactly I mean, no, yeah. there's it's a like, couple times man uh, yeah exactly and there's this. a couple times where yeah exactly and there's a couple times where Paulinho was able to shield the ball and the guy was trying to get the ball but he just didn't have the energy to get around Paulinho as he would have as he would have in the first 20 minutes so i was fine with the substitution i guess my only contention was just having gomes i mean i would just rather have Dembele going at that point bring Paulinho in for Coutinho. I'm fine with that. I think Coutinho had a really nice match. Um, I mean, we've asked Coutinho to do so much. I mean, in the beginning of this match, he was playing as the Vidal position, you know, as the right wing. Yeah. And then when Iniesta got injured, he moved back to left mid, you know? Yeah, and <laughs> I he, mean, can, he can and, do
2: it. And he looks dangerous in both. A little bit more in the left mid, I think. But
1: I think so too. But he was able to do both. He had some really good combo play with Suarez and Messi. But again, he had a really great game, I thought, and you know, putting Paulino in, like you said, Val Green was trying to just salvage those points, be a stronger defensive um, cohesion, you know, for that those last five minutes. And again, it's just almost like the as a baseball manager does, he brings in the closer. Paulinho is that type of closer where his physicality, the way he's able to win the balls, when you've been playing eighty minutes and you see a player that's going after it the last thing you want to do is go after it <laughs> right
2: right now but that it wasn't over because in the 85th minute athletic basically scored but it was called back on an offside call and that was a close one a very close one and i i mean you could it could have easily gone the other way i i wouldn't even go so far as to say it was the right call uh, or that it was the wrong call it was it was a call it could have gone it was really Pretty fifty-fifty. I mean, sure, if you have, you know, the space-age technology, you could see that Diego Costa had one foot, or not even an entire foot, you know, a little bit of a foot over the line. So sure, it's offside, and I'm thankful for it. But man, that was close.
1: I mean, in real time, I thought it was a goal. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't think. I didn't think uh, Costa was offside. Obviously, during the replay, even during the replay, I thought it was too close to call. Yeah. Because. You Know we were at, we were watching we were talking about my friends. Is that really offsides? Yeah, it could be, but I mean, that is a ballsy call on the ref on the sideline, right? To call it, I can see him being more to call offsides rather than not offsides. So, thank you for that. But for me, I could go either way on that call, I could say that it was a goal or not a goal, you know. But Absolutely. fortunately, yeah, fortunately for us, they called it offsides. And they canceled the goal, and we were able to get the three points from this match.
2: Yeah. And just an overall recap, you know, it was the kind of game you'd expect to see when the two best defensive teams in the league are squaring off. You know, not a lot of chances on either side. But even then, right down to the last minutes of added time, I was worried. You know, but even in those last moments, Gomes gave up a ball, and that got me really worried that Atleti could turn around and get the equalizer. But in the end, we did win by the fuzz of Diego Costa's boot and pulled ahead another three points to have an eight point lead after match day 27 and still undefeated.
1: No, I totally agree. And, you know, this was a very tough match. It was going to be a tough match the whole match through. And we were able to play solid defense, another shutout going forward. And we got the three points. And now we can just continue to go forward in the season. Now having that advantage over Atlético. Now Atlético cannot slip up at all for the next four to five matches, which I don't see happening. And I think just the way we've been playing going forward with our defense, and obviously having Messi and Suarez playing really well. I mean, I just think the league is ours yeah. going forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna. There's still plenty of work to do, but I, it's ours to lose at this point.
1: Exactly. And that's a better position to be, right? To be at this kind of point of view where. We have to screw up, and we're playing really well as opposed to chasing. Right, exactly. Now let's do man of the match. Did you have a man of the match for this one? I did, I did. Uh, I would say Messi was my obviously my number one, but the second person, um, after doing a Twitter poll and just kind of looking at the stats and so forth, I think for me was Rakitic. I think Rakitic, not only did he have the most distance covered today, I think he overall had a really solid defensive performance that we needed. Um, He didn't push forward too much. It's funny. He doesn't do anything great, right, Brian? He doesn't do anything, um, you know, compared to Gomes, right? Like how Rakitic and Gomes, you know, Rakitic doesn't really beat anyone 1v1. He doesn't do – he's not super dynamic. He doesn't score a lot of goals, any of these things. But Rakitic just knows his role, and he does it really well. And he's, you know, especially today, he was able to win a lot of balls, had a high passing accuracy, and he was just able to mark up Griezmann and follow him and be able to disrupt plays when it needed. So for me, Rakitic was my man of the match other than Messi. What did you think of? Rakitic's performances today.
2: I thought I thought it was... Well, it was kind of like an invisible man situation. I didn't notice him a lot, and I appreciate that you did for all of these reasons, because when he's doing his job well, kind of like when Busquets is doing his job well, you don't exactly notice him. So I think that was a great selection for your man of the match, because that means... You know, because I didn't really notice him that much, I think that means that he was actually doing a really good job.
1: Yeah, and, and, and the most important thing for me with Rakitic is... His ability to win the balls, and just like Busquets, to, to transition to the attacking third, right? So today, I think he did a really good job of that. I think he was very disciplined. Um, also, not exposing Sergio Roberto as much, maybe against, like for example, in the Las Palmas match. So for me, I think Rakitic overall had a really great performance. So uh, I'm pleased to announce, let me give him his plaque. <laughs> Barca Talk Podcast Man of the Match Other than Messi goes to Rakitic from Gabriel's side. Uh, what about you? Who's your man of the match other than Messi? Well, you know, we've talked
2: about this before, how the fact that we're undefeated in the league is thanks to our defensive record mainly. And in this match, PK was still playing on a prob- a problematic knee. He got rest in the middle of the week against Las Palmas, but I still feel like his knee is causing him problems. And he still made at least a few really valiant and critical tackles, blocks, et cetera, um, Umtiti, of course, also contributed to keeping the sheet clean. But just for playing on a bad knee and still coming through and delivering like he did, even coming up big in some clutch moments, I'm going to give it up for El Presidente, Gerard Pique.
1: No, I think it's a good choice because I think, like you said, the way he played with his tackles, he was smart. You know, there was a play there where he, he looked like he injured his knee again, but it looked like it was just a knock. But he overall had a really great performance, um, especially with the headers. I think he won all of his headers almost. I, if I just remember correctly, just watching the match, anytime there was a 50-50 ball in the air, I think he he won the header. So for me, I think that's a really great uh, pick because, again, Atlético loves to play up in the air, you know, with Costa up there and heading it down to Griezmann. And I think PK and mtt had a really great match. Obviously, Ter Stegen as well. So, again, the battery for Barcelona, another shutout. Uh, Ter Stegen, PKMTT, and Busquets. I mean, what can you say? Our defense, again, held their own. We were able to get that one goal, and we just continue going forward with those three points.
2: Yeah. Now, let's look ahead. We have two matches coming up this week. The first one uh, I was not aware of until uh, just today when I was doing the final preparations for the show today. Uh, this, the Catalonia Super Cup versus Espanyol is going to be on Wednesday, March 7th, in Yeída. So the Catalonia Super Cup, or, uh, or any version of it that has existed, was once a pretty major competition in the region before La Liga, before the dark times. But now it's uh, a fairly minor competition. And the funny thing is it's, it's always contested between the, the same two teams. It's always Barcelona and Espanyol at this point. So I'm, I found this out, and I'm just thinking, you know, with the way Espanol played Barca in the Copa del Rey and how they played out a win over Real Madrid last week, which is pretty cool, and you will talk about that more on Monday, are they going to come guns blazing into this match? Are we? Will Val Green even field a big-time starting eleven for this, or will this be a chance for some youngsters, new guys, Dembele, Coutinho, maybe bring Elena up? I don't know. What do you
1: do? You, did you even know about this match? I just found out about it today. I had no idea about this yeah. and I would just roll out the B team or yeah. even the C team. You know, I, I think this is such a, you know, great. It's a super cup. Obviously if we win it, that's another trophy in our case. But at the same time, it's more importantly for the league match against Malaga that's coming up the following weekend as opposed to the super cup. So I just think, you know, giving Silicin an opportunity, Vidal. Maybe Dennis Suarez, Paco, just roll out the B team and just let the rest of our team. For example, PK get that rest that he needs going forward, so we can have him for the Chelsea match.
2: Yeah, and Yerimina, Vermeulen. Uh Samedo is still injured, I think. But you know, yeah, Dina, just, why not?
1: Just exactly. Maybe I can apply for a spot.
2: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I know, I do know that the barcelona espanol rivalry is very real. But I think even Espanyol, uh, who are not involved in a ton of competitions the way that we are at this point, um, they they are probably more focused on La Liga than the Catalunya Super Cup. It I, I don't know what it's like there, and I maybe, you know, maybe I'd like to hear from someone who lives in Barcelona right now um, to to tell me like what's you know how big a deal is this game. But in any case. The real big deal for us, the more important one for us, is going to be the uh, La Liga match, uh, match day twenty-eight against Malaga. So that's on Saturday, March tenth. They're going to be on the road at La Rosaleda. And in the last leg, uh, Barca won two nothing at the Camp Nou, match day nine. Uh, but again, I, I just whenever it's Malaga, I just remember this fixture last year when we were away to Malaga and we were up against the ropes at that point in the season. And Malaga beat us on their own home ground. And I don't think that should happen again. I don't think that would happen this time because I think we're a stronger as a team in general this year. And, of course, we're having this dream undefeated season and Malaga are having a horrible season.
1: Yeah, and I agree. The thing is, I always think of Malaga the last three seasons just like you do. But this season, they are not very good. Um, And also, our defense is so much stronger when we're playing away so i think if we even play with a b slash a team type of thing i think we should still be able to get the points obviously with the midweek game we should be able to give our starters a full week of rest so that's going to help them especially with iniesta with his injury during the match against atletico um i think that's going to help our starting 11 and i think we should be able to get points in malaga brian i mean i just even if it's a zero zero i'm okay with that you know i For me now, the next really kind of hurdle or milestone is the Chelsea match. So everything should be gearing towards that match. I think, obviously, Malaga with the La Liga, yeah, sure, we should be able to win and get those points. But also, we should be smart about resting our players and um, figuring out the best lineup to go forward against Chelsea.
2: Right, because only four days later, Chelsea's coming to the Camp new for the second leg of that tie and of course we want to win the champions league and we want to we want to get past the round of 16 at the very least and we want to beat chelsea so yeah i agree that things every everything should be focused on on that chelsea match so decisions for the malaga match you have to take the chelsea match into account Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson and the music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means this is a two-man show. Go ahead and be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit barcatalk.net and find the contact page or one of our social media channels. And if you want to support the show, click on the support tab at barcatalk.net to do that. Remember to to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca! Visca Barca! Hey, Barsatalk listeners, this is Brian, and I'm talking to you at the end of the show to remind you of our new support method, which is a website called Patreon, where you can sign up to give a regular amount of money every month to creative people who are making things that you love. So to become a Talk supporter, all it takes is $3 per month, and you can cancel anytime you want. And we've just launched, so our first goal... In this campaign is to get to 100 patrons, and when that happens, we will hold a drawing from among those patrons for a customized Barcelona jersey. Also, just for signing up for that three dollar a month subscription, you will have access to any bonus content that we produce. The podcast itself will always be free for everyone, but we are starting to make more and more bonus content that will only be available to our Patreon supporters. And then there's the drawing for the jersey when we reach 100 patrons again. So, to become a Barsatalk supporter, go to Barsatalk.net, find the support page, and click on the Donate Now button to arrive at our Patreon page where you can join up as a Barcetalk supporter. Thanks again.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network
2: Step into the world of power, loyalty.